Hi, I'm Katerina, and this is Sound Effects, a music and mental health podcast. Welcome back to Sound Effects podcast. In this episode, I'm speaking with Denise Devonish, who is a therapist working prominently in the music industry with musicians, having grown up with the father who was very prominent in the industry as a music producer. So we talk through some of what that was like for her growing up, um, how she developed a music career and how that led to her seeing a few things that she wanted to really specialise in later when she retrained as a therapist. Um, so I hope you enjoy it. Um, I know you've been doing really interesting things within the music industry and helping people in the music industry and I think there's some crossovers between us in terms of who we know and the things we're doing so yeah we'll just kind of talk about it and see what comes up. Tell me a little bit about yourself first of all for the listeners to to kind of get a sense of of you. Okay yeah um, well I guess I'd start with how I grew up. So uh, my dad's um, a record producer, mainly dub reggae. So quite alternative, uh, not alternative, but but it, it wasn't mainstream pop stuff. That's what I mean. It was more kind of underground um, experimental stuff because he was very much, I would say he's very important in, in, in kind of merging punk with reggae and dub and ex- experimenting at that time in the kind of late 70s early 80s and so yeah I was born into to a house with a studio and surrounded by some very uh special musicians who who were very alternative and experimental at two um and they were always in my house playing and um trying stuff on analog tape and you know recording ideas and so it was very um playful and there was there was so much exposure to raw human stuff. Yes, you know, it kind of the best way I can describe it. Sometimes it was quite chaotic, and there was lots of parties, and you know, so there was lots of I observed, and and there were boundaries. They kept me from that, but I was also up and about, and grew up, you know, feeling and seeing a lot. I think is is the best way to describe it. Um, and surrounded by beautiful music and beautiful souls, um, but some really tortured souls. And I think, you know, as you know, with substance misuse being such a problem in the industry, I definitely saw a lot of that, which I didn't understand so much as a child, but just the change in people's behaviour mm-hmm. when they drank, or the highs and the lows that people also describe. Uh, in the industry, not just because of substances, but because of the nature of people's personalities, maybe. I mean, none of this can be defined. You know, there's research to try and look into it, but to define causality is very difficult. Mm-hmm. But there's definitely something that went, that goes on in the music industry, in the world of musicians that isn't normal. <laughs> I think it's quite unique. And I think it's made up of um, lots of things. From what I saw and and what I I feel, I think being creative and being an artist and having something to say and choosing to spend your life playing and singing and exploring and performing in front of people and touring um, and being with people in this way uh, requires a certain type of 
human being. It's not playing it safe. It's not, the career isn't definite, you know. You, you, you can be famous and doing really well for a while and it can all collapse. There's so many layers to it that are unusual. I've gone on a complete rant, but I saw all of that. And then later, I and, and so I was singing a bit when I was younger, um, but I actually had a lot of anxiety. I had my own, you know, dance briefly with drink and drugs, very young. And I couldn't get on a stage, I had chronic anxiety. So I, I walked away from that and I felt very intimidated by other singers, especially in that kind of dance or reggae sound system culture. It wasn't for me. So I was trying to sing that kind of stuff. But actually, I really like sort of different music to that. Um, and so I totally walked away from music. And I had my own struggles on my, with my mental health in my early 20s that really have shaped me as a therapist too. You know, it's what led me to train as a therapist later because I saw the profound impact that a good therapist can have. When I say good as in one you're connected with um, and the relationship feels safe with. Uh, so I worked with young people for a long time and then basically realised, why don't I merge, you know, my experiences with, with the music industry and through my family. I'm married to a music manager. I mean, I can't get away from it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and do therapy in the music industry. Yeah. So that's what I've done the past two and a half years. So, yeah. I was really, like, my ears kind of pricked up when you said... Um, you know, your experience of therapy gave you a sense of good therapy. And mm. uh, I think it makes such a difference having, especially when you're having therapy when you're young as well, because you're kind of in, I guess, more impressionable maybe or vulnerable and you're more trusting. I, I don't know whether you were, but I, I guess if I'm just generally as a sense of it like a young person in their early 20s and being held in a powerful way and once you've had that experience um you kind of don't forget it so as a therapist yourself like remembering that when someone walks into the room I think changes a lot compared to therapists that maybe have never they might have had therapy during their training but might not have experienced what it's like to be scared walking in a room and seeing a, a therapist who appears powerful and what that really does to someone so. yeah absolutely mm. absolutely and I think and, and I tried a few so it wasn't all positive so I think also having the, the negative mm. experience and that's not judging any therapist but ultimately each therapist is a human and is an is an individual and comes with what they've who they are their philosophy um their essence their capacity for empathy you know you can train and be the most qualified and just not resonate with another soul and ultimately the work is so human it, it's so much about your capacity to be present and 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 what what you can hold and what you can't and so I also had an experience where it was very clinical very at a very vulnerable time when I was 17 I think that was the first therapist and very qualified don't need to say you know the modality it's not relevant but very clinical but I'm very um, analytical and like you said I walked in and gave her so much power before because you you assume you know so much more than me about me mm. I'll, I'm, I'm going to listen to you and you're going to help me 
and you're going to change my life and you've got you've got all the answers I need and I think rarely do people unless they have experience know that when you go into therapy you know you've got a right to steer your experience you know that you can lead that you that you've got a right absolutely to feel safe and to understand the process, understand what that therapist philosophy is, how the therapist works, what kind of space that therapist can hold for you. Mm. Um, otherwise, it, I think it can be quite detrimental. And I know that's probably quite a controversial thing to say, but I was definitely somebody that, because of that, was against therapy yeah. and again, against therapists. And I've worked with many young people who are like, no, nah, I'm, not, I'm not going into all that business. Mm. Somebody trying to get in my head somebody telling me let's look at this in your childhood and let's look at that and when somebody's very vulnerable um I think that can be very risky so as much as I'm I, I endorse you know people seeing a therapist if they're struggling I endorse people finding the right relationship and being very aware of the fact that there are different approaches different styles and that the relationship is is key above any sort of training yeah. um yeah and you said your style is person-centered and um for anyone I guess anyone listening that doesn't know what that is do you want to to say a bit about that yeah yeah at the core it is so I've I've I I kind of I I believe I, I work mostly from the person-centered approach which is creating a space first and foremost by being empathic by being congruent by being honest and and by not judging at all so that's really where I start so you're kind of opening up the space to allow the person to feel at ease mm -hmm. and then allowing the person the client to lead very much so I'm not analyzing I'm not um I don't have an agenda. I'm not going to ask the client to necessarily go anywhere. I might offer mm. a reflection, but it's always got to feel right for the client. The client is very much directing the course of the therapy. And I'm creating a space for that client to come to understand themselves and their needs better, essentially. And that requires me to keep checking in with myself mm. so that I'm not blocking the client. And I think it's very experiential. It's 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 an experience, and you don't need to be in crisis. You know, it's it's about exploring what's going on for you. And if I felt that a client needed another specific approach, be it CBT, be it the psychodynamic approach, you know, one thinking more about you know thought patterns and changing of thought patterns, one looking specifically more at early childhood experiences, then I would. I would explore that with the client and I'd be very open and honest because I think each therapist has their limitations too. But for me, I really do believe um, the person-centered approach and working humanistically is most powerful and profound. It's a very respectful approach, I think. I think yeah. it really places respect in the individual and... Yeah. Um, their own wisdom, I guess, their own ability to assess what is right for themselves, as you said, not this sense of them being in a hierarchy with someone telling them what's best for them. And especially for people who have been in terribly abusive scenarios where that pattern is there and, and they're conditioned to feel sort of um, 
in stuck in a power dynamic if that gets replicated in a therapy room it can it can bring all sorts of catastrophe you know and and as you say that I'm not knocking any any therapeutic approach at all but it's just to kind of highlight that this this approach can be so respectful in that sense of understanding people's self-autonomy I guess yeah, yeah. I think that self-autonomy, no, I agree, that the, the autonomous self, the ability to be able to, you know, create the pace at which therapy goes, to not be directed if, if it's, like you're saying, if, you, if you've been in an abusive dynamic or power struggle and you come into therapy and you're opening up about the most vulnerable parts of yourself, mm-hmm. I think it's most effective that the client leads that and, 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 um, anyway, it's not it's not knocking at all. But but I, I saw in the person centered and the humanistic approaches um, something that I really agreed with at, at the core, whereas some other things I saw in the past I didn't agree with. So, yeah. So so I'm happy where I sit and I and I continue to train. I don't think that that ends. And uh, yeah, and I'm very I'm very keen to represent and speak about diversity in psychotherapy and having cultural competence um, because diversity means a lot uh, to me personally and I can see that the world of psychotherapy needs more diversity and therapists that are more diverse and have the capacity to sit with difference because we need to reach more people you know so that's also very important um to me yeah yeah absolutely and and bringing in the the fact that you're seeing clients i guess if even if we're talking specifically about the music industry how that gets paralleled there as well and i i was looking i was just thinking about those parallels even when you talked about power dynamics a moment ago Thinking about the moment where people enter into the industry is uh, very often quite young. I, I guess not for everyone, but when people are first entering in, they're quite young, again, impressionable, um, in a predominantly sort of white middle class culture and um, very male and very sort of... Um, it, it seems. I mean, it seems to me because I you you've got much more experience within the music industry than I have, so you'll be able to explain it a bit better than I can. I think, but my my impression is that um, the kind of law is laid down a bit when someone comes into the industry if they're offered a record deal. It, it's it's like the power's taken away from them. It's like here's a load of money. We need you to do this this needs to be your image, um, this is how many records you need to sell. And I, ca- I have a sense of, oh, actually, all that autonomy gets stripped away and, um, and diversity becomes, becomes an issue within that as well. So I'm just kind of making links and parallels. I know I'm kind of scattered a bit, but making the parallels with what you're saying and how that really maps onto the music industry very much so. Mm. Yeah, totally. Um, I think as a young person coming into the industry, um, you need that historically there hasn't been enough support and there still isn't now. And I think this is a this is a tricky debate because whose responsibility is it? Um, I'm not saying it's the label. A young person signs a deal 
and I think they they need to be equipped. I mean, a young person anyway. Just <laughs> you know, in schools, I think we need we need more we need more lessons in boundaries and you know self awareness and protecting yourself anyway. And like you said, in the industry that's very male dominated, that's very um, it's highly pressured. And if you do sign a deal, there are requirements that you're supposed to meet. Otherwise, you know, you could be dropped. Mm -hmm. And as a young person wanting to impress and, and please, yeah, I, I think I think it can be really risky. And I think now what worries me, sounding like a bit of an old person, is also social media and just the amount of mm -hmm. that's even enlarged now. You know, it, it's like more about how you look. Um, and constantly needing to constantly post yourself and having judgment and being looked at. And um, I, I just think it's so much pressure and, and it's very easy to burn out and to, to fall apart and to lose a sense of who you are caught up in the external frame of reference, you know, in the external judgment of others on you, whilst you as a young person, especially, are trying to establish your identity. And the diversity, of course, comes into that. Who am I? Who, who, what, what is my race? What's my identity? What's my culture? What do I believe? And is it safe to put that out into the world? Is it safe to dress a certain way? Is it safe to speak a certain way? Can I sing what I want to sing? Can I play what I want to play? Will the deal, will the people around me looking after me be okay with it? And it's so important as, for any young person to have that time to be able to explore and exercise you know all of that freely and I think in the music industry it it, it is not the easiest place to do that mm. as a young woman as a young man too and yeah I think it's really challenging and it's constantly competitive constantly high pressure um there's constantly the allure of drink and drugs and partying touring is insane I mean it's it's, it's a huge struggle for anybody to be away from family and love it's not normal life mm -hmm. the hours are ridiculously long the boundaries aren't there often you know you end up going for drinks with your manager or with your A&R with band members so things get really blurry and so keeping any you know keeping yourself safe and contained can be very very challenging when you you're getting smoke blown up your ass as well and everyone's saying you're bloody great and um and yeah the deal's going really well you're selling records let's keep it going I, I, ideally that person has a strong sense of self to keep it going and also stay rooted but it's really difficult I think to do that for anybody mm -hmm. uh, whilst all eyes are on you and you're being seen and then of course there's people who don't have a deal who are desperate for a deal um, and also have to contend with the same pressures, trying to get anywhere, trying to get seen, feeling embarrassed about a project not going very well. And they put everything into it. You know, I've, 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 I've worked with lots of people who are incredibly talented um, and can't get a deal. Incredibly talented. I mean, you know, you know, Dylan's you know, great writers and singers that will never get seen, maybe. And they're getting older and they're panicking because their time's running out, you know, equally there, being in a deal or not, it's the same, you know, you, you're exploring yourself in a way where you want to share it and play it and sing it. And you're constantly requiring that feedback and that applause and that approval. 
that that for any human being in any context is is risky so you know does the label make sure that they have counseling <laughs> for their artists uh, yes i'd say so even if it needs to come out of their budget does it you know does it mean that the manager manager can't take on a counseling role you know i see it with my partner but you know make sure that you've got someone in place when it when fame is in the mix and things are getting bigger to keep an eye on that artist um and you can't also seen it's very difficult because you can't control what an artist does if an artist for example thinking about amy winehouse a lot you know and um watching that and just thinking part you know many people say well, how did it happen and blaming her parents blaming the the label blaming whoever and you know you, you, you i also know it's very difficult i'm not gonna you know to, to tell somebody what to do to tell an artist what to do when they're also very determined to keep using or to keep doing whatever that might be detrimental for them. And they are, their job is to keep getting on stage and then your job is to keep pushing it. And uh, those kinds of things about the industry, I, I think can be quite um, unsettling. You know, it's quite uncomfortable. And yet people, when you speak to them in isolation, you realize nobody had horrible intentions. Most people care, most people are good people but the nature of the business is to push your artist to sell that artist to get them on stage and we've glamorized for too long drug abuse and it's kind of been cool and people are aspiring to wear their hair in funny ways and drink loads and take drugs and that's why we've lost you know uh, great artists and it's a tragedy it's not cool at all so i've probably gone on a massive side rant again i don't even remember what the original question was but that's music. It's not straightforward. It is pretty chaotic and great and beautiful and wonderful. And we need to protect our artists. So yes, young people and everyone who's giving themselves to it also at any stage in their life is at risk of burning out um, and really struggling with their sense of self and identity and managing very difficult feelings. And you're not supposed to talk about it because you're supposed to be hardcore as well as being a great musician, a great talent, able to perform, able to be around different people every different night and keep it going. And, you know, because you've got an opportunity, don't ruin it. Mm. It's constantly there. Gosh, yeah, just as you said that, that sense of like having to feel grateful on top of it all, that the sense of being, um, don't complain, just be grateful for the opportunity. Thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, don't rock the boat. You might get a bad review. Don't annoy that person. And added on to all of that pain inside. And gosh, like I'm just thinking about how much it's changed because, well, it's changing. I guess since in the last couple of years, I've noticed that with more awareness of mental health and people paying more attention, especially in the pandemic, that it does seem like within the music industry, there's been a bit of a sea change and that um, there is more counselling in place and things like what help musicians are doing and what BAPAM are doing and music support and these um, charities that have popped up doing these great things. And yeah, noticing how that wasn't there, maybe just even like a, a decade or two ago, um, even, you know, Amy Winehouse was only 10 years ago and it just wasn't there. No, it wasn't there. And it was interesting in 
you know, the other issues that they, they raise in documentary, I don't know if you saw, you know, that went out the other day, mm-hmm. also about her eating, you know, bulimia. And I think just in the industry, I, I really do agree, and that is positive. There's more, um, there's far more support and more conversation that's being normalised around mental health issues and other, other issues, um, or mental health issues, substance misuse, eating disorders, on and on, OCD, on and on, social anxiety, performance anxiety, because of great charities like Help Musicians UK and BAPAM, Music Support, um, who are brilliant as well. Um, and... Uh, that's fantastic and that's really hopeful and and that is brilliant because yeah it wasn't it really wasn't there before you know and and mostly my sense of being wherever backstage or hanging around musicians was you know you, you gotta be cool <laughs> a, I don't know how else to say it you gotta be cool yeah. and this idea it's kind of very much started, that's what reminds me of school yeah. you know the cool gang that's what the music industry is about and I know that that it's very different in the classical world as it is, say, in the dub reggae or the kind of garage or electronic music world. But there are there are, there are crossovers and similarities, and I, I, I think that uh, it's brilliant that we have more awareness of the fact that musicians across genres, from all different backgrounds, um, re- have have been really struggling. And and the the statistics that came back from the research that Help Musicians UK did totally backed that up I mean it's like 75% have struggled with anxiety and depression that we interviewed and I took part in that research and it was a real mix you know it was a complete mix of musicians at all different stages in their career from all different backgrounds diverse backgrounds um, genres you know musicians singers writers etc and people working in the industry and I mean it was amazing just to hear people I'd never you know, it's very different sitting in rooms where everyone's being cool and um, and and then sitting in rooms where everybody's been given this space to talk freely and openly about the struggle. And people, first of all, what stands out most to me was they were just so great. It was like, oh, God, I've been wanting to do this for 20 years. Some, some of them, uh, there was, oh, there, I mean, I can't, yeah, there were, there were musicians in their seventies, you know, um, and they were just—they couldn't believe that we were sitting in a room and everyone was allowed to say, "Oh yeah, I'm a musician and it's been really hard." Because there's also that judgment's not a real job. Mm-hmm. You know, it comes up in the research paper: "Can music make you sick?" It's like, you know, it's not the music that's the problem. It's, it's the lack of things that that are regarded as real work and that judgment, even from family and people around don't go into music get a real job for god's sake you know and 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 stop um you know pretending you're working when you're just having a nice time and and the amount of work that musicians put into it who dedicate their life to it I've seen it it's of course it's not your dull nine to five okay and I'm not saying I, I mean of course it's not you know these people are doing something they love so there's passion there and there's a lot of laughter and excitement in creating with your band and recording something and hearing it back and getting it mixed and getting onto a stage. Of course, it's fun. It's bloody great. That it's it's a high. It's it's elated. It's incredible, and it's beautiful. And you change people's lives. We love music, but I've also seen those same people wearing themselves out working to make albums. You know, 
16, 17 hours a day practicing non-stop, physically in pain, not being able to use their hands, musculoskeletal problems over and over again, terrified they're going to lose their voice, um, exhausted from touring, relationships falling apart because they're not there. Yeah. doing everything they can working for jobs so they can do their music because there's nothing else that means more to them don't turn around and say to that person come and get a real job you're a joke and and the musicians themselves putting themselves down in that way because of how the culture has been that you want to go and be a rock and roll star you want to go and be cool and drink and have fun and or even classical musicians you know and they've got extra pressure in a different way because you know, the perfectionism amongst classical musicians, especially, is really high. And perfectionism is a really serious mental health issue. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a really a big part of OCD. And and I've seen so much of that with my clients, this kind of brutal training that mm-hmm. can happen in training institutions for classical musicians, especially, mm-hmm. and just never feeling like you're good enough. Um, so I think maybe there's a bit more respect if you're playing for the Philharmonic Orchestra or something, but also a very difficult gig to get. Yeah. And so if you're a classical musicians, musician and you're teaching or something, or, you know, you didn't make it to, to a great orchestra or at a level where you can sustain your career there, again, feeling really bad about yourself is a common theme. Um, yeah. I am thinking, you know, the, the one other industry that really reminds me of is the dance world, the yeah. perfectionism with ballet dancers. And I don't know if you work also, I think, because BAPAM crossover with dance professionals. I don't know if you see that with dancers too. Um, yeah, and actors. Actors, yeah. I haven't worked so much with dancers. I know a bit. And, and you know, with eating disorders and, um, yeah, there's definitely crossover. It's not been my... I haven't worked especially with dancers, but yeah, I'm aware. What was your what was your involvement in the Can Music Make You Sick uh, research? You said that you you were involved in that. Yeah, I was called in to support, which was really which was which was which was great. Um, and I was you know humbled to be asked and there in case anybody from exploring throughout the day while they were asking questions and prompting people to speak about their experiences and um, if they needed to um, have support on site, okay. um, which several people did. So sort of there in a counselling capacity, but, but you know, not, not, not as it is uh, normally. I was there just to support and then to, to signpost if needed and to manage if there was crisis. Um, yeah, so you kind of got to see firsthand in a way what the research, the people that were taking part in that research, you were seeing it in real time almost. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was just going around the tables and listening. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Fascinating that. And it's it's um this question around you know when you're talking about being cool and the drink and the drugs and if you want to be this idea of being in a band and that the idea and image of it not being real work two things have popped up in my mind because um, it was about a decade ago, I worked with Samaritans and it was at the time they were doing research into uh, male suicide. And I really remember, and I've spoken about this on my podcast before, but I'll mention it again. As I I remember um, they created three posters. One of, um, it was, there was a boxer. um, There was a, 
a soldier and a musician, they were identified as really high risk for male suicide. And when it got taken, um, they kind of went around the country, like getting members of the public to respond to the posters. Pretty much unanimously, there was empathy for the soldier, there was empathy for the boxer, zero empathy for the musician. The attitude towards the musician was, well, why do they deserve my sympathy? They've gone into the industry. They've chosen to ruin their life with drink and drugs. I'm not going to put my money to Samaritans if that's what you're going to be endorsing. And in the end, the but the musician poster didn't get um, used in the campaign. I think in the end they had the one of um, the boxer and the, the the just the soldier, those two. But but it really speaks to what you're saying, like this public perception that somehow. I think because the narrative is that it's like you're living some kind of dream and it's glamorized and you're therefore lucky and you shouldn't complain. And if you're there, you're just in the bright lights and you're not like the rest of us all grafting and working hard. But in fact, like, as you said, like the, the level of actual graft that goes into such a career, whether you're just starting out and not signed yet and working in nightclubs every weekend all the way to being a superstar you know Beyonce the amount of work she has to put in to to maintain you know I find it distressing that that's not acknowledged um in a way yeah and that's really interesting I'd love to to see that study Mm -hmm. and it's it so so it was a boxer and a soldier Mm. yeah and both very violent pursuits and thinking of well you know yeah boxing incredibly violent and being a soldier I mean ultimately you know you're preparing to fight if you need to and it's quite interesting when thinking about male suicide and what it is to be a man Mm -hmm. that men that were musicians and chosen you know they're not in the boxing realm or the soldier realm we're we're, we're kind of judged for being um I don't know taking the easy route out there's lots there and and thinking about male mental health and the the, the idea of what it is to be a man and Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, uh, and I, uh, I, I get it, you know, and, and what, what, what really stands out to me is thinking about, you know, my own family or friends or people that I know mm. putting themselves down. Mm. It, it's not just coming from the out, you know, go, yeah, well, I've got it. I've got it easy. You know, um, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not an athlete. I'm not fighting for my country. I'm not, you know, going in and, and saving lives. Mm. Um, I'm having a great time, right? And and th- this is this is where it gets interesting for me because I believed all of that, but at the same time, when I went through my own journey of reflecting on, you know, those same people, and some of those people aren't here, or looking at what they went through, what's so dangerous is the fact that they believed that to be true. And they believe that to be worthy and fair enough. Mm. Because actually, sometimes somebody can be sold an idea so much that they believe it and be in it and not even realise that they're struggling mm. or be so conditioned to not say they're struggling. Mm. You know, I'm, I'm being, I'm generalising, but this is for men too. It's for we're all people. 
you know, very easy can go all over the place. But the people I'm thinking about, because they, they were able to work in music and they were able to drink whilst on the job and maybe do some drugs and hang out with mates and hang out with pretty women backstage and rather than maybe their friends who were working an office job or, you know, doing something else. They, they were like, yeah, I've got it easy. I've got, I ain't got nothing to complain about. And I'd look in their eyes or see, you know, another relationship fall apart or they couldn't see their kids or what was that, whatever was going on. And watching them use more, whichever ways came about, I was thinking, I'm not sure that you are, that you are okay. You know, and then I got older and then I realised um, maybe you didn't realise or maybe you realised, but you didn't know how to express it. You didn't know who to ask for help because in, in your industry then, especially, there wasn't anywhere to ask for help. And nobody around you was saying, yeah, this is difficult, mate. They were going, look what we've got, wicked. Look what we've landed. Mm. We're having a laugh. This is brilliant. Mm. This is easy. Um, mm. So I think it's difficult to delve into. I think it's, it's like it's an area, you know, all this stuff. How do you... I mean, sometimes I've spoken to people that I know and told them what I do, and I can see they're thinking, well, several times people say, oh, do musicians, so do they, yeah, they struggle? Is there a need for it then? I say, yeah, yeah, definitely. And I'm, you know, I don't go, of course, they're not, I'm not defensive. I say, but yeah, let's think about that. What do you mean? Well, it just seems like musicians have a great time. I'd love to do that. I'm just no good at my instrument or, mm. you know, I, I couldn't do that. I've got to pay the bills and I'm, I wouldn't get away with it sort of thing so I do come face to face with that a lot and even when I start seeing clients them saying I don't know really if I deserve this place or you know I'm amazed that help musicians exist and I've got this funding and, and then as the therapy unravels you know the, the the um the issues just from working in the industry alone are complex yeah, so, yeah. I wanted to tackle with you this question of um, creativity and mental health <laughs> because I feel as if uh, clearly, I mean, in, in society, there is a romanticized idea, which I know from talking to other therapists, we're all kind of in, in agreement that it's a really dangerous narrative, this idea that creativity and mental illness are somehow inherently interrelated and then it's romanticized so you get like the the tortured artist image and you get these images of people like your Pete Doherty's and your Kirk Baines and you know to some extent Amy Winehouse as well and um, and then the 27 Club and then it, it it feeds back into that idea that somehow to be an artist you have to be tortured and if you're tortured you're a genius and I really want to tackle that with you <laughs> because I know you know and I know and a lot of us know that that's not the case and something else is going on here yeah yeah <laughs> yeah it's I I just try and preach as much as possible that you know taking drugs and drinking loads and being tortured being in pain mm. because of anything you've gone through or I don't know seeing the world through a lens of agony because of loss or grief or 
um, you know, having a terrible relationship with your mother <laughs> isn't going to make you a great artist. Um, I think the way that we respond to pain and fear and love and, and living um, maybe is relevant to a great artist. Mm. But I think that to respond to it and stay alive and stay well requires self-care, requires boundaries, requires the opposite of being tortured. Mm. I don't think any human being tortured does anything that well for very long. I think art is unique in that through pain and great suffering, you can create a piece of art and somebody can come and listen to it or look at it and get a sense of it and get great comfort. And I think that's very powerful. And I think it's okay. If, if somebody hasn't suffered, then maybe how could they create that intense vision or that sound or write, write those lyrics? How could you be a great therapist unless you've sat with your own pain? But just like we were saying earlier on, an artist is not going to be a great artist and a therapist is not going to be a great therapist unless they can take care of themselves. And artists and therapists, you know, that there's some holding pain, holding grief, holding, you know, stuff that's difficult. We need to take care of ourselves so that we can do that, so that we can create, so that we can sing about it, so that we can paint about it, we can express it through movement. And I really like like the idea of, and, and again, that massively, Bapam, we're, we're brilliant in this. And, and you know, the work that um, I did with artists with Bapam around safe spaces mm. was was really a really powerful idea. And again, trying to get to all artists, I don't know if you'd imagine approaching some of the most famous artists and say, look, can we have a conversation about creating a safe space before you begin or once you've created, because sometimes it just comes, isn't it? Mm. You know, these way people describe, you know, songs coming through the ether that they, they didn't, didn't sit down and say, right, I'm going to write a really famous hit on Saturday and I've got between <laughs> and 11 o'clock while my kids, <laughs> you know, it tends to be people, you know, this is the thing, artists say using help them get into the right frame of mind to write. You read about it all the time. Mm. Oasis, endless bands, you know, Hendrix, you know, the 27th, goes on and on and on. And, and speaking about circumstances that are quite torturous to get them into the space to create this genius content. Mm. And I do challenge that. I want to challenge that over and over again because it's not freaking true. You, you, I don't believe it to be true. Mm. I think maybe for the person that is suffering, if they've found a moment of relief and they've produced this thing, can you then imagine if it goes and sells millions? Yeah. Yeah. What you're going to do is say, ah, oh, um, my pain and my suffering and my grief had a purpose and and if I hadn't gone through that, actually now maybe I need that because if I get happy, if I become cured, if I'm not using in this, this whirlwind of chaos and pain, will I create that again? Yeah. And that's dangerous territory yeah. when you've also got the whole world going, wow, crying at your gigs because you spoke to their heart. Yeah. So, so what, what, what I think is lacking in the business of music is, really taking care of 
what the artist does for a living, which is actually tuning in wood, mostly, not all music for sure, but when we're talking at this level of the tortured artist, you're making money out of a person's vulnerability, a person's experiences that could be very deeply disturbed, very, very, you know, unbearable for that person to manage, actually, maybe. Maybe they haven't processed it at all. Maybe that song or that piece of art was their first attempt to even address it. Mm. And so if you're selling that, we have to really consider, I think, how we take care of the artist in, in, the, in the creating of all that work. And I like the idea of safe spaces because I think too often you create and then you've opened up all this stuff. It's like in a therapy session. And then the, it, as a therapist, you know, you need to check that your client's okay before they leave. For example, uh, if a client says they're suicidal, there's protocol. You know, we don't need to go into that. Um, you're not there to rescue them or save them, but you you are containing them. You're making sure that they are safe. Artists don't have this, but in a sense, they're doing the same thing. They're delving into the depths of their soul, opening it all up, putting it out there. Who's containing it? Who's holding it? So. Yeah, I, I really think the idea of the tortured artist is is dangerous. And like you said, because I don't like the idea that there's a requirement to be tortured, to be great. To, to, to be great, you need to stay well um, and take care of yourself. Um, yeah, and for too long, we've, we've glamorized all of that mm. for centuries. Yeah. I, I like the way you kind of talked about um if you have therapy, you can kind of do that work in a contained safe way that the artist can access that stuff if they need to in a safe way and then decide to use it in a, in a creative way if they still need to. And it's, it's, yeah, that's the word containment, isn't it? It's not, um, it's not just fodder for other people to, to use and own and, but it's, it's such a fascinating area. Like you said, there's so much room for conversation. And really what I want to see is more, which is why I want to speak on, you know, anything I can, you know, I, I can't, I've had, you know, about to have my second child since beginning in this world. Um, but I try to do my bit because we need to keep talking about it. There's so much that we could say on all these topics we've talked about. It's endless because... Um, you know, music's been around so long and yet I think only, and, and obviously music's been, you know, so respected. I think of Mozart, you know, you know, the great, great composers and writers where they were held. I mean, they, they were treated like royalty. It's not that musicians have been always treated really badly, but we need to, to consider more and more and more and keep talking about it, how we can help um, and to change the culture in that toxic sense. Um, you know, stop it being sort of cool and glamorized to torture yourself and destroy yourself. Um, um, that's got to stop. So I, I, I just, I'm really happy that help musicians exist. And through COVID, through the pandemic, obviously, so many musicians, my own family, people I know, 
um, have taken a huge hit. You know, they've lost their livelihood. They're doing jobs that they've never done before that have nothing to do with music. Some, some are doing very well. Depends where you sit in the industry. Um, but it's changed for everybody. That's for sure. And we're we're not. Oh, it's not over yet. We're going to see this um, continue on. And I think we need to be aware. Uh, of people's mental health and, and how people are adapting or not um, and, and struggling still. And I think what's really positive is during the pandemic, how lots of musicians said to me, oh, I didn't even know that BAPAM existed. I didn't even know that Help Musicians UK existed. I didn't know that we had, you know, a right to get some support for counselling. And, you know, you never think to put the money you did have for musicians that aren't so famous into support. So, wow, this is amazing to have you know, BAPAM offer up to 12 free sessions if you go through the assessment process and and they reach that conclusion. Help Musicians UK offer a lot of support to get counselling. So there's financial support there to have therapy and I endorse that, I shout about it. You know, for any human being generally, the idea that you need to be in crisis to go and access therapy is not true. It, it, it's, it's, it's like a gym for the mind. I really believe that every human being can benefit from sitting in a space with somebody and just openly sharing because you surprise yourself. And, and at a time like this, when it's all been so intense and there's been so much uncertainty for, the, for those working in the music industry and just even when it, you know, how it opens up and what's, what, what that's like for musicians again, returning back to gigs when they might be very nervous about being around COVID still, it's not gone away. Mm -hmm. um, and, and feeling pressured to, to go on tour, go and do gigs abroad um, whilst being very anxious. You know, there's lots of things that we're not talking about. And again, it's musicians. It is, there is still that, that thing of, of not considering what that requires and what it takes to get up in front of people and go to a festival, say, where you're scared of getting COVID or, you know, you're, you're at high risk, for example. Um, or, you know, anyway, it goes on and on. So I think... My main point is let's keep having the conversation, let's keep creating forums, let's keep talking to each other, supporting each other as people, supporting people in the industry, supporting each other as musicians. Um, and yeah, so we can continue to enjoy art and music, um, which, which for me, um, you know, is a lifesaver. It, 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 it's so healing and and no musician saying it isn't. We're just saying the business of music and the industry can be challenging. So how can we create and take care of ourselves um, at the same time? And, um, you know, we're moving more into a weirder and weirder world where technology's taking over. So we, we and they're cutting the arts and everything. You just, we need art, we need music. We need our artists and our musicians and the industry therefore to be healthy and well so. and where, where can people find you to to have more of these conversations like where because i know you do lots of talks you give lots of workshops and um, yeah where can people find you well i'm actually currently uh stepping back because i'm about to have my second child um, but actually, having said that, when my first child was only five weeks, I was speaking at the Round House and then I was I was back at the London Jazz Festival. So I've got my Instagram page and I try and post on there 
um, just because it's easier than uploading on my website every time. <laughs> if I'm doing a talk or a workshop, I've been doing lots of webinars for BAPAM. Um, random stuff has come up over the past two years. I've, I've, I've traveled around the country and taken part um, in different conferences and um, spoken at different places and at schools. And I, I try and keep my Instagram updated. So it's probably a good place if I am speaking or I am offering any kind of workshops or webinars, I will post it on there. Um, but I'm, I'm taking a bit of a break. I'm not seeing clients because my focus is in uh, birthing another human <laughs> and ra raising them for a bit <laughs> entirely. So, but but I, I don't want to leave. It really means a lot to me. It's been my whole life. And like I said, I've lost people. I've loved people all, you know, all in the music industry so closely. Um, so it's my passion. It feels like I was meant to do this and there's a lot more to come. And there's, and there's a lot more, uh, yeah, there's a lot of work, a lot of work to be done continuously to ensure that the music industry stays what is healthy and well yeah thank you so much and it's uh, although we won't have time necessarily to talk about it I, I want to just highlight the fact what you said there that you're about to give birth and that's a whole other area as well for women in the industry who are having children and and how do they tour and do they get the jobs do they get the work and I have spoken in previous episodes to, I don't know whether you heard um Jessica Greenfield but she was talking about this was quite a while ago now about um having to have an abortion um because she was offered a, a a touring job at the same time and had to choose between the job or or a child so this is a whole other area and um I don't know maybe maybe another time you know you'd be very welcome to come back and we, we can we can talk about it if that's any time you want to explore that and I'd be really happy to have you on and talk about it some more um absolutely I'd love to I'd love to and I think you know women in music um is a great topic <laughs> to, to speak about and uh, yeah mothers um in the music industry and just just hearing that story it's just hits me there so yeah i'm 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 definitely open to come back in in, in mama with the mama hat on um and speak about the music industry from that perspective too and as a woman um so so yeah thank you so much for for having me it's been great talking with you and you, thank you so much for your time. And you, stay in contact, okay? I will do. Take Lots care. of love. So thank you, Denise, and hopefully we'll have her back again to talk about women in the music industry. So that's it for today. As usual, follow me on Twitter at soundeffectspod, that's effects with an A, or email me at soundeffectspodcast at gmail.com, or find me on Instagram at sound underscore effects underscore podcast. If you want to leave me a review on iTunes, please do, or you can support me at ko-fi.com forward slash sound effects pod and thanks as ever for listening and i'll be back again soon with more take care bye bye